Thank you so much, Brother Cody, for sharing with us. I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Psalm 50. Psalm 50, begin a new series of messages. Uh, we're talking about thanks living. I know that's cheesy, but it's okay to be cheesy every once in a while, right? What would a cracker be without some cheese, right? Uh, Psalm 50. And we're looking at verse 7. Verse 7. Did I call myself a cracker? I think I just did. I read an article in the Baptist Press this week that Lifeway Research reported that 52% of all Protestant pastors state that the current economic situation is hurting their church. Well, let's say the bad news first, okay? Our church is among these. Uh, We've seen a decrease in giving since Joe Biden took office. And and we're set to end the year with a budget shortfall if nothing changes. But I want to share with you quickly and adamantly the good news. Our God is the one who owns everything. And not only does He own everything, He created everything. So all power is His. He is omnipotent. And as we think about that truth, I think, I think about something that happened to me whenever I was a teenager. I was probably 17 or 18 years old. I had begun working and was earning a wage for myself to be able to purchase a vehicle. So I purchased a used pickup truck from a friend of mine. And was driving that thing around, was very proud of it, spent many weekends shining it up, polishing it up, so I could take my girlfriend out in it, and uh, it would look nice for her. And there was a day that my younger brother got his driver's license. And uh, me being the sensible young teenage man that I was decided in my heart that it was a bad idea to let him drive my pickup. And I stood my ground on that for a couple of years. And then there was a day that he really wanted to go out in the truck. And he really wanted to borrow it. And he came to me and asked me. He said... I know, I know uh, you're not going anywhere tonight, and I really, I'd like to drive your truck because I have this and that I want to go to. And I said, I will never let you borrow my truck. Well, I could see the countenance on his face change. He was hopeful, and then he was saddened. And he said, you care more about that truck than you do about me. And he walked away. And I I was convicted. I was really convicted. And I don't know if it was because of something the preacher said to me that week or something I read in my Bible, but I, I became deeply convinced that I had squandered the stewardship 
that my God had given me over that vehicle. And I began to realize that not just the vehicle, but everything that I had truly belonged to God. Any, any series about giving or tithing or stewardship must begin with this point. And we're going to talk about tithing later. We're going to talk about money matters later. But here's the thing. I want us to begin with this truth in mind. That God owns everything. Okay? He does. And so... When we come to Him, we must come to God with that understanding. That our position is that we owe everything to God. Everything. Not simply a tithe. Not just simply what you might come up with extra at the end of the month that you could throw in the plate. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about everything that you have belongs to God. Down to the molecular level of your existence. And so how do we respond? Well, God indicts the people of Israel for their lack of thanksgiving through Asaph, which Asaph, by the way, is a great guy in Scripture. And we don't know a whole lot about him. But listen, he's got to be pretty amazing. Probably almost as amazing a musician as Cody is. Because David appointed, and you know David, he was a great musician, wrote many of the songs. David appointed Asaph as the chief musician of the people of Israel, okay, to lead worship, to lead in the dedication of the temple, like the biggest worship ceremony that ever happened that didn't even happen during David's life. It, it, David died before it happened, but David had appointed this guy specifically for that day to lead the people in worship at the temple at the dedication. So he was a pretty amazing musician and pretty amazing worship leader. But did you also know that he was a prophet? Because he wrote Psalm 50 that we're about to read. And he indicted the people in a prophetic psalm. Not about, you know, they gave, they didn't give enough. Not about that they didn't come to church enough. But that when they came, they lacked thanksgiving as they brought their offering to the Lord. And that's the indictment. And so the biblical truth this morning. God accepts the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And that's the only sacrifice that He'll truly accept from you and me. Is a sacrifice that's offered with thanksgiving. Why don't you stand with me? We'll begin in verse 7 and we'll read down through verse 15. So verse 7 says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all, the, all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. 
and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this psalm today. We pray, Lord, that we would give you the sacrifice of thanksgiving of a heart that's grateful because of all that you have done for us. Lord, we, re- we realize we owe our very existence to you, Lord. The Scripture teaches us how you own everything. And that means you even own us. Lord, for the one who's in rebellion against you today, Lord, they're running as far away as they can. Lord, we understand that all they need to do is turn around today. Repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. I pray that this would be the day of salvation for that soul that's lost. And Lord, that those that do know you, Lord, we would be strengthened in our resolve to give everything that we have back to you as an offering, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And Lord, may it even begin right now as we hear and heed your word. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. There's three important truths about living thankful that we glean from this psalm of Asaph that I want to point out to you this morning. And number one, our God is self-existent. Our God is self-existent. What does that mean? Well, He wasn't created. He didn't have a beginning. And He will have no end. He is the ultimate reality of the universe. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. And He is omnibenevolent. He's an all-good, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And we're so thankful that we serve a God that way because anything less would not be God at all. Our God is self-existent. Somebody said, well, you know, who created God? Well, if there was something that could have created God, then that in itself would be God by the very definition. So it's nonsense to ask who created God because God is self-existent. Now, that's what he reminds his people of back in verse 7. Now, he, he says, he says, get ready, I'm about to indict you. I'm about to bring a charge against you. So he says, hear, O my people. Notice that he, the first thing that God establishes there that he has ownership over is the people of Israel. God had purchased the people out of all of the nations of the world and he said, you are going to be my special possession. The rest of the nations have rebelled against me, but not you. You're going to be a people who love me and worship me. I will be your God. And you will be my people, God said. And so he's reminded, well, if we were to translate that to today in our context as as the church, God is speaking the same truth to us as a church, as a gathering of believers, as a corporate body, those who profess faith in Christ. We belong to the Lord. You do and I do. But it goes deeper than that, and it's not just because we have sanctified Christ Jesus as Lord of our hearts. God owned our hearts before we ever turned to Him. God owns every ounce of us. We wouldn't have our breath without Him. He says, I, this is what He says to His people. He says, I am God, your God. The word there is Elohim. And then at the end of the psalm, we see that he is the most high God. At the very beginning of the psalm, in verse 1, 
Asaph calls him the mighty one, God, the Lord. And he speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. As we think about those names of God, it reminds the people that Elohim, by the way, he is the one true God, the almighty God. And then we talk about Yahweh. That's the covenant name for God. And that's God saying, I am, meaning I am self-existent. God called his people then. He said, I am your God. Then he calls them into judgment. What does he call them into judgment again? He says, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. In other words, what he's saying is, you come and you bring the offering. You come and you... You, you gather for worship, you prepare yourself for worship, and you come and you do the ritual act of sacrifice. So God doesn't indict the people for their lack of sacrifice. God indicts them for simply going through the rituals of worship. The people, the people basically thought that, that God owed them thanks for showing up. That God owed them thanks for for doing their religious service to Him. And I'm telling you folks, there are people that are sitting in church pews and chairs all over this nation today, this morning, as we gather to worship, and they think in their hearts that God owes them thanks for being there. Or that they put their money in their plate and they do it with pride and they say, I've done my job, I've done my service. Or they seek a position in the, in the church among the people because of the amount that they're able to give or the service that they're able to render. And God says, I don't owe you a thing. It's a smack in the face to prideful people that think that somehow God needs them. Isaiah 1, is, uh, this is not on the screen, you can just jot it down, Isaiah 1, 11 through 14. And God says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? In other words, I don't need them, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, I'm not going to put up with your prideful, sinful heart while you're coming to worship me. Those two things are in contradiction to one another. And in the church today, what happens is when we do that, we quench the Spirit of God who wants to move and work among us by coming in with a prideful heart thinking that we're doing God a favor by being here. God is self-existent. He doesn't need us at all. He doesn't need your offering. He doesn't need your presence. He doesn't need your worship. Does He command it? Of course He does. Because He is worthy. And because of all that He has done for us. Not because he needs what we can do for him. He talks about he will not accept the bulls from our house or the goats from your folds. The idea 
this attitude that they had needed to be reversed. And so God tells them this in verse 10. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody said, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he owns the hills. And he basically says that a little further down. He says in verse 12, the world and its fullness are mine. I mean, this is all throughout Scripture, and I love it. I'm just going to run through it real quickly, how you can see the universal ownership of God over all of creation. Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 6. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. And then Acts 17, Paul is speaking of the Areopagus and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In other words, we, we can't even build a house for God, nor is he served by human hands. We can't do anything for God to serve God as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to mankind life and breath and everything. Now, the idols that Jeremiah speaks of in the Old Testament, he talks about how they're mute. They have mouths, but they're mute. And they have ears, but they're deaf. And they have eyes, but they can't see. They have hands, and they can't serve. They have feet, and they can't walk. They can't do anything. You know what an idol is? It's basically something that you build in the image of yourself, and you bow down, and you serve it. That's what an idol is. Idols eventually own you. And they require your time and your energy to upkeep They take from you. They need you. And Jeremiah even talks about how how ridiculous it is for someone to build an idol, to make an idol, and then have to build a base for the idol to sit on so the idol doesn't fall over. Idols take life from you. Don't you begin to think that we don't serve idols here in the United States of America. There are some people that did not show up for church today because they're in mourning over what happened yesterday afternoon. Idols take life from you. Our God, our God, is the self-existent God who gives life to all creatures. To you and me. And He loves us. He is absolutely self-sufficient. And that means that He can care for you and me. I'll give you a few more. Psalm 24, 1-2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. Moses is saying to uh, Pharaoh in Exodus nine twenty nine, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord, and thunder will cease, and there will be no more hell, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Exodus 19 and verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. 
Deuteronomy 10 verse 14. Behold the Lord your God. To the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens. The earth with all that is in it. And then Paul says and repeats the phrase from the psalm. 1 Corinthians 10 26. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You know what else? Look at verse 11. God says, I know. I love that because God doesn't just say, I have or they're mine. He says, I know. So God doesn't just have ownership of everything. God takes full responsibility for everything that he owns. I absolutely love that because he says, I know the birds of the hills. And and it reminds me of Jesus' words when he says, not a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't take full account of. God knows every one of them. And he knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. Which is getting a little bit easier for God to count that on my head at least. And so... He says, I know the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. You can't give God anything that doesn't already belong to Him. He, he owns it all. Now, I, did some, I did some thinking and, and, and did some, a little bit of research. and I said, what is the total global wealth? What is the wealth of the entire world? According to uh, Credit Suisse, this is like a, a Swiss credit company, did the research, they did a global wealth report. They do this every year. The estimated global wealth totaled to be $463.6 trillion at the end of 2021. That's 464 with 12 zeros behind it. I mean, that, that's a number that we can't even imagine. You can't imagine that amount of money. Colossians 1.16, Paul says, For by Him all things were created. That means everything that we see, everything that's in existence, in heaven and on earth. So, not just the earth itself, but everything that you can see up in the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars, distant galaxies. Everything that's out there that we can see. And all the things that we cannot see, the things that are in the spiritual realm, that we cannot put a value on, that we have no idea what is even out there. And every once in a while we we come into contact with some of it, but we just and we know it's there, but we can't see it and we don't know how much it's worth. We know nothing about it. All these things were created through him, Paul says, and for him. They belong to Him. You know, as I thought about this, and I, I know I've spent a lot of time on this one point, and maybe I should just end the sermon after my first point, but I will squeeze in two more if you've got time. But as I thought about this, it, it, it made me think about this, like this thought. My kids in my house, they, they don't have to worry about the light bill coming due. They don't have to worry about making sure that there's food in the refrigerator or making sure that the mortgage payment gets paid. They don't have to worry about that. And in the same way, those who come 
under the lordship, the headship of Jesus Christ. And we call ourselves Christians. Christians don't have to worry about money things. In other words, there's no such thing as a money problem for a Christian. I mean, we talk about how we got money problems all the time, don't we? I mean, sure, there are mismanagement problems. Sure, there are disobedience problems. Sure, there are faith problems. But there's no such thing as a money problem for the Christian. Why? Because your daddy owns everything. And if that's the truth, if that's true, that there's no such thing as a money problem for a Christian, then that, what that means to me is there's no such thing as a money problem for a church. You listening to me, finance committee? There's absolutely no such thing as a money problem for a church. God will take care of the financial needs of the church that is faithful to Him. Absolutely. Number two. Not only is our God self-existent, our God is self-sufficient. Notice he says, if I were hungry. God is self-sufficient, but we are dependent. And this is so, so astonishing. I mean, it's, it's sarcastic, which I, I love that because God can be hyperbolic and sarcastic if he wants to be. If I were hungry, hungry would I, uh, I would not tell you. Like, if I ever got hungry, I'm not, you're not the one I'm going to go to. Now, God, God is not hungry. But this is the power of God's Word, and this is the power of the Gospel to know that God would humble Himself and, and become hungry for our sake. Jesus humbled Himself. He who never knew hunger became an infant needing to be nursed by his mother. There's a few scriptures. Matthew 4, 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Mark eleven twelve says he was hungry. John 4, 7. Jesus said, give me a drink to the woman at the well. John 19, 28. As he hung on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Luke 24, verse 41 have you anything here to eat? In his resurrected, unascended body, Jesus was still hungry. He took on flesh for us. And what that teaches us is that he himself bore the curse of our hunger for our sake. Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He bore the curse of our hunger so that we may feast on the riches of His grace for eternity. John 41, uh, excuse me, Job 41, 11. The Lord says to Job, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. The world in its fullness, he says in verse 13, belong to him. Verse 12, excuse me. The principle 
idea is to reject the notion that He needs something from you. Any of you ever been truly hungry? What happens whenever you're truly hungry? I call it being hangry because it makes me agitated and I say and do things that I shouldn't say and do whenever I'm hungry. But you know, every once in a while I just miss a meal or something and I get kind of hungry. When I was in, listen, I learned what real hunger was about whenever I was in Indonesia. That's where I learned what hunger is. Because everything that there was to eat was looking at you. And I, I mean, some of it I just couldn't stand, couldn't stomach. And I finally got so hungry one day that I was willing to eat just about anything. I sat down at a table and they brought out all this food and they put it all in front of you almost like a buffet, but it's all out on your table. And whatever you pull from the center of the table and put in front of you, that's what you pay for. You eat it. Well, they've been doing that. And I brought all this stuff out. And there was this prawn, a big shrimp-like creature. I mean, it's big. I mean, it's lobster size almost. I said, man, I'm going to eat that. And so I, I turned to my guide and I said, you know, he's, he's a translator, he's a believer. And he says, I say, I want to eat that. Tell me how to eat that. And he just kind of looks at me and he went back to eating. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't hear me. Maybe uh, I need to rephrase this and say it. I'm really hungry that looks good, I want to eat it. And he just kind of shook his head. I said, come on, man. I want to eat that. Tell me how to eat it. Tell me what I need to do with it. I mean, because I didn't know how to even peel it or anything. Show me how I'm supposed to eat that. And he said, that's been out all day. If you eat that, it will kill you. So, needless to say, I went hungry again. Have you ever been hungry like that, where your stomach is gnawing on itself? It's eating itself. And some of you are like, I'm like that right now. Just shut up and let's go. Yeah. Can you imagine the creator of the universe that owns everything? Submitting to hunger pains. Now, you you imagine that for a moment. That when He died on the cross, He bore the stripes on His back. He bore the thorns of the curse on His head. And He bore the hunger in His belly of a sleepless night and a long day And he was thirsty. And he said, I thirst. Why would he do such a thing? He didn't need to do that. He's self-sufficient. He did that because of the last point. And the last point is that we are totally reliant. We are totally reliant. There is nothing we can do in and of ourselves. And so what should be the natural response? The natural response should be that we come to Him 
bringing our heart in our hands and we say, thank you, God, for giving me life. Thank you, God, for giving your life for mine. Thank you, God, for loving me so much that you would send your one and only son to die for me. And that we acknowledge the source of our blessings. Only then and then and only then will you be in the right relationship to the God who created you. And he goes on to say, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Perform to God your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. The invitation is that we would learn total reliance upon Jesus. I've heard foolish people say, I don't want or need anything to do with God or church or religion. My response to that claim is, you walk on His earth, you borrow His time, and you just used His air to utter that nonsense. What in the world makes you think that you can do anything on your own? We're all dependent upon God. Psalm 50 and verse 23, the last verse of this uh, psalm. He says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and have any other master at all. I mean, here's the deal. He owns everything. If you're going to come to God in the right manner, you acknowledge that He owns everything down to the very cells of your body, He owns you. He owns your eternal soul. He deserves everything that you can give Him. But let me tell you this, He doesn't need any of it. He doesn't need it. The only reason you exist is so that He can show His glory in and through you for eternity, and you can enjoy Him and experience Him forever. That's why He created you. But your sin has separated you from God. And unless something happens to reunite you with that holy God, you'll spend eternity away from Him. But that could change for you right now. If you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can trust Him today, and you can spend eternity enjoying this God who owns everything, who wants to give you the riches of His kingdom. And you can enjoy that if you'll put your faith in Him today. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want to lead you in that. This is a simple prayer, but it is your admission to God that you need Him and that He does not need you. And it's you asking Him to save you. Pray it like this. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to You that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong and I have failed to do the things that I know are right. 
And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you came and you lived a sinless life. You suffered and you bled and you died for me, a sinner. You became the sacrifice for my sin. I believe that you were raised again on the third day, proving that you are God. Jesus, I know you don't need me, but I know that I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Make me a new person. I'll spend the rest of my life loving and serving You. I owe You a debt of thanksgiving for my salvation. I love You, Jesus. Amen. You stand with me. We're going to have our time of invitation. This is your opportunity to let it be known what You've just prayed in your heart. If you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that's not something that's meant to be held in and kept secret. That's something that's meant to be shared and celebrated. And we want to invite you to do that because we need to welcome you into the family of faith first and foremost and celebrate with you as a member of our family. But secondly, we want to help see you grow. We've got resources for you. We want to offer to you believers baptism. We want to offer to you small groups for you to be involved in those if you're not already. And so this is your invitation to come. And if you're looking for a church home and you believe that God is leading you here to Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, to be a member of this church, we welcome you here and we'd love for you to serve along the saints here. And if you simply need prayer, our altar counselors are coming. And so you come as the Lord leads you to come. And let's sing together our our song of invitation.